Today's episode of Vice Versa, we're talking about a secret ExxonMobil recording, how adding solar panels to aqueducts can prevent evaporation, and how the seas literally caught fire this past week, and more. As usual, I'm joined by Ricky. How you doing, Ricky? Doing good, Matt. Doing good. Uh, how about yourself? It's been a uh, been a fun week. Yeah, it's been a fun week. Good July 4th here in the United States. You have a good July 4th? I did. I played some golf on Saturday, so that was good. Uh, the 4th was kind of late, low-key, but... Um, what what a country, you know. I, I always feel grateful and appreciative this time of year, but you know, this this Indian kid uh <laughs> comes here and is uh, is a YouTuber, so you know, can't can't complain. And what about your latest video? So my latest video is a week is gonna be delayed a little bit because we are working with our, our sponsor on on some stuff. So I think it'll be out Tuesday. Um <clears throat> it's gonna be on NASA's crazy plan to stop a super volcano. What about you? <laughs> This week, I did a, a video on the linear city. It's called The Line or the Neom Project that's in Saudi Arabia, which is kind of a bananas project where it has flights of fantasy, fantasy like creating an artificial moon from drones all the way down to kind of groundbreaking desalination plants. And I kind of focused on the things that might have a bit impact beyond Neom and around the world. So things like the solar dome, which creates uh, fresh water. Those are the kind of things I focused on in it. I watched that video about an hour and a half ago. It was fantastic. Oh, thank you. I, it's all the same kinds of questions. Yeah, you guys got to check it out. The Solar Dome especially kind of looked as a interesting viable option. Depends yeah. on what they do with all that salt yeah, exactly. and water. Yeah. So the first story this week is kind of the big one. Uh, there was a secret video that was revealed where um, an undercover Greenpeace kind of reporter tricked an ExxonMobil <laughs> VP into talking very openly about things that they've been doing to curb climate change and try to get policies passed that benefit them. And uh, <laughs> it's it, this goes into the realm of it's shockingly not shocking. The stuff that he said in the video is all things I'm pretty sure everybody that's watching this video right now would probably believe, but he talked at length about things like how they've been aggressively trying to fight some of the climate science. They haven't hidden the science that they've been doing, but they try to control the, the message. Uh, they've talked. He talked openly about how the carbon tax, how even though Mobile has been saying publicly they believe in a carbon tax, how they really don't think it's going to happen. And that's part of the reason they're saying it is because they're saying it, that they stand behind it because they know there's probably little chance of it ever passing because it's good PR and good publicity for them. Um, he talked about how he talks on the phone every single week to senators and representatives like Joe Manchin almost every single week to kind of keep them in the loop and try to get them kind of fighting on their behalf. The video goes into in depth about like all the different representatives here in the U.S. that are on the bankroll of Exxon and Mobil. So again, this is one of those shockingly not shocking, but this, I, I don't want to say poor guy. His name is Keith McCoy. He is very matter of fact and i would highly recommend that you go out and look at this video and just watch it because it's kind of amazing how open he is being on all of these different points that he brings up in the video and after all of this kind of hit the news his response was a public and i would put this in air quotes apology where he basically said he's sorry for allowing himself to fall for greenpeace's deception and then goes on to pseudo apologize, but like basically saying to fall for Greenpeace's deception basically is him saying, I'm sorry I got caught. Uh, not that he was sorry for what he said or doing his job 
So for me, on one part of this is I don't blame him for doing what they're doing because I can totally understand from a company, you want to control the message, you want to control the PR, but it's just gross. It's just gross that this is, we now have just video proof that this is how they think about this stuff. What's your take on it? Because <laughs> I was kind of gobsmacked. Yeah, I agree. It, it wasn't surprising at all. This is one of those things where we all kind of expect like Bill Maher, uh, real time with Bill Maher, he has this segment on his show where he does, I can't prove it for a fact, but I know it's true. And <laughs> this is one of those kind of jokes where it's, you could kind of write your own adventure series where you have these guys in a boardroom at ExxonMobil talking about this stuff. And this is how it plays out <laughs> exactly as you expect. <laughs> so it doesn't surprise anybody, but it really does show you the power of these big companies. And, you know, historically, oil companies have kind of run the world because they are a huge, like, national interest. So if you want to have a military, you want to have airplanes in the sky, you better have a good um, handle on, on petroleum. So they've, they've, I mean, there's other examples of, of very well-favored industries, but I can't think of any industry in the, history, in the last 100 years that have shared more benefits and these kinds of things from government than, than petroleum companies. And there's, yeah, there is, it's a sad reality. And I do think, in our modern era where we have a lot of social media, we do hear more about these stories. But I also worry that there's so much out there that we're going to forget this in the next news cycle and it'll be back to business normal. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a, a script. Okay, some bad news. Call the PR company that we have on retainer. We'll have them craft a message. We'll say some words. It'll look bad for two days and then somebody will do something worse and then life goes on. That that That's the sad part is I don't think the negative part about this story to me more than the news is I don't think anything changes. I yeah. don't think they're going to do anything differently, which would have been nice, right? If when these kinds of stories break, good things came from it. But the reality is until we have more electric cars, what choice do you have? If you go to work, you got to feed your kids. You got to do stuff. What? I mean, you know, electric cars are still a little bit pricey. There's not like a $10,000 car you can buy. Like there are some you know old cars you can buy that are gasoline. So, mm -hmm. and they know that. But that's why we have to really, we share the news about electric stuff or renewable energy types. So that way they don't share this monopoly that they currently do. But kind of sad stuff. Um, I don't know. I I feel kind of bad about it. But at the same time, it was so imaginable and it was such a predictable thing that it didn't really, it wasn't didn't cut as deep. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like I said, it's shockingly not shocking. It's just the, we all, we all knew it. It's just, it's still, there's still a bit of, of a sting for me to actually see it, like to see somebody saying it. And then immediately after this, the, the press release that ExxonMobil put out is hysterical because it's like, he doesn't speak for us. This is not what we believe, you know, blah, blah, blah. The, all the, the lip service that we t typically hear. And it's just like, you know, we're not going to believe what you're saying right now because clearly there's people inside your company that are saying this behind closed doors. So it's, it was just funny that they, they continue to try to do the spin about the spin being kind of like the emperor has no clothes. It's kind of like, why are you even trying right now? Just, just <laughs> don't even bother. His, I mean, he's like a public relations person. I know. It, right? Like his, his job is literally to speak for the company. Like it couldn't, like he does exactly that. He speaks for you. That's literally what you pay him for. Yep. I mean, that's what you got to do. You got to distance yourself. It's a whole script and we've seen it time and time again, but um, yeah, uh, Bong Hollywood says the ocean's on fire. We're going to get to that. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. But this is um, hopefully the start of something, but we'll see. Yeah, the next one is, is something that I have thought about 
for 30, uh, 25 years. So we've, I've had family in Southern and Northern California, and I live in Southern California now, but I grew up in Northern California. I have driven along the five where this huge aqueduct, one of the biggest in the world, runs bringing where most of our rain comes from, the North, um, to where all the people live in the South. Most of the people live in the South. So we have this huge aqueduct. And so long as you drive on the five, you'll see that it runs along the road at various points. And I always thought to myself, how much of that water is evaporating off? Even as like a young child, like 12 years old, I was thinking this. So this story is about how if we put solar panels over aqueducts, we could, it's like the win-win-win of, of, of the world. Because first of all, you could reduce the level of evaporation by, you know, taking that, that, solar radiation and instead of having it heat water and evaporate it you could make electricity then you could reduce the need for uh diesel pumps to have to pump this water and instead just use the sun that is already shining you don't have as much maintenance and cleanup like you have algae and other uh, weeds that you have to pull out of the aqueducts because water and sun is a recipe for for life here on earth and um and also the panels have water under them to keep them cooler. And studies were, were this is pretty interesting because I've had a lot of uh, subscribers ask me this question and they said that they were getting between two and 5% more efficient panels. So this is an idea here in the US, but in, in, in the state of Gujarat in India, they've actually done this in 2014. It's a much smaller scale, but what they were pretty much getting at is why cover the earth where there is life and other things with solar panels when you can cover stuff that has no other purpose and in this case it's not like if you put solar on a roof you don't just not waste space but you keep your roof cool you have less air conditioning bills right it's it's like the win-win of of situations and this is like a a win-win-win so they kind of are there uh, there's different ways of doing it you can actually like hard mount it you can have them float on the aqueduct there's different approaches you can take but this to me is like we always talked about in the past, I look at how we could couple varying ideas together and benefit from all the all the synergy and overlap. What do you what do you make of this? It, this this kind of stuff gets me su super excited. It's like I'm also been very keen um, over the past I don't know year or so looking more into floating solar systems, as well as the uh, solar systems that they're experimenting with, but putting over crops, where like it helps you know the crops help keep the panels cool, and then it helps offer shade, which can actually help plants that need a little more shade and keeps them from drying out too quickly it's like that there's this symbiotic relationship that we can find with this technology and there's i hear so many comments on my solar panel videos of people saying things like you know like think about all the trees that have to get cut down for these solar panels all the farmland we're going to lose for these solar panels and it's like you you look at stuff like this and you're like that's not the case it's like you can put it on rooftops you can put it over aqueducts it's like there's things we can do that become beneficial and it becomes like you said a win-win-win it's like everybody wins when you do this because it conserves water produces energy doesn't take up valuable real estate it's one of those it just kind of it benefits the whole system and i've been wanting to do deeper dives on india specifically anyway but it's like india is doing some really cool stuff and people don't talk about it enough it's like there's really interesting things like this that they've been doing they've like you pointed out they've been doing this since what 2012 14 13 yeah. 14 and it's like it's like we're it's not 2021 and we're kind of finally talking about it in a larger scale it's like they've been kind of ahead of the curve on this one and the that that paper stated i think it's like 50 billion gallons of 
of water is what you're losing to evaporation each year, which is shocking. That's a yeah. huge, huge amount. And I mean, we're servicing a lot of water daily, but that's still um, a very big uh, amount. Thank you, Robert Klauko. Uh, he's he's an often viewer. His, he says, first super chat today, achievement unlocked. I agree. We should, um, <laughs> should have a special special prize for the, for the first super chat. I appreciate you, Robert. Yeah, thank you very much, Robert. But there are some really cool stuff happening in India, and this is one of those uh, great examples of it. So Bong Hollywood mentioned that didn't Veritasium do a video about the black balls? In the, yeah. There's an, a reservoir in L.A. I love that video. I watched that. It was so cool. It completely went viral. And they were solving a different problem. It was actually, you might have thought, you might think it was actually the uh, the evaporation problem. But there's some other issues with various compo- uh, compounds that are being formed with the he- combination of heat and, and chlorination that was actually toxic. And what they found is like when we pumped water from our station, it was clean. And then by the time it got to, to, to the person's house, it had levels of contaminants that were higher than uh, what were allowed. So they figured out it was in the reservoir while it was sitting there. So this would solve that too. Anywhere where water is flowing or staying still, you could you could fight that trend with, with solar power. You ready for next the, next, the next story, which is yeah. that the sea is actually catching on fire this past week. No. This, this story is insane. <laughs> um, I got to play the video of what's what's going on here. Uh, so in the Gulf of Mexico and the Caspian Sea, there were both like fires. <laughs> in, this is in like water. a video game, by the way. Yeah. This looks like an apocalyptic uh, scene from some kind of dystopian future sci-fi game. It does not look like something that should even be possible to happen. It looks like the it looks like fire is actually happening under the water, which is just nuts. No. But this video that we're looking at right now, it happened in the Gulf of Mexico, and it was blamed on an underwater gas pipeline that burst and caught fire. And so that's what happened here. And the Mexican government said after the after the fact that no spillage happened. So basically, don't worry about it. Nothing leaked into the ocean. Everything's fine. Nothing to see here. But that video <laughs> is still extremely disturbing. And then meanwhile, in the Caspian Sea, uh, we had this. Yeah, not to be outdone. Yeah. That's that's a problem. Um, now, this one is more interesting to me because it wasn't a like failure in a pipeline or anything. There's evidently something called, I didn't ever heard of this, uh, mud volcanoes un- in certain yeah. areas of the world. And there's mud volcanoes in this area that constantly are erupting and they cause problems for things like gas pipelines or oil rigs and things like that in the area. And that's basically what happened here is that there was a mud volcano that kind of exploded and caused this issue to happen. <laughs> so it was kind of, unforeseen it wasn't like human error that caused this it was nature fighting against us that caused this to happen but it just it just goes to show like how much stuff is going on in the world uh in the article they brought up how in in the u.s alone there's 100 offshore oil rig fires every single year in the u.s it's it's nearly impossible to pull oil and fossil fuels out of the ground without screwing it up at some point you're going to contaminate the area you're going to have accidents. The Exxon Valdez, you know, oil spill. It's 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 very commonplace in the industry for this to happen, and it's just yet another reason why we need to think differently and move in a different direction. So, what was your take about the sea being on fire? <laughs> you know, if there wasn't a person to capture that, some of these are very offshore, away from the the, the you know the glaring eyes of humans, and so a lot of them they get away with a lot of this stuff. But it's not until there's a guy with a, uh, a phone camera uh, who can take a picture that we hear about this. It's so 
tragic. That picture, especially that first one, the Gulf of Mexico one, um, that just, that does not look real. I, I swear to you, that looks like Unreal Engine. It looks like a, a video game. Just, to, just, it seriously doesn't even look like it's possible. Um, it's just so shocking and, and kind of sad. This looks really bad, but there's a lot of stuff happening in the Gulf that's worse than this. For example, we did a video maybe a year and a half ago now on the Taylor oil spill, which is a notoriously horrible oil spill that's been happening for like 12, 15 years, and it's happening to this day. There are some efforts to try to potentially cap it off, but because of the nature of how it's positioned and how deep it is and and, and just the variables at play, they're not able to stop this thing. So the Taylor Oil Company is sitting there going, our bad, and thousands of gallons are spewing into the Gulf of Mexico every day. And it has been since like 2009 or something. Mm-hmm. So it's horrible. And to your point about the hundreds that happen each year, how would you know about this? Like they're not going to broadcast mm-hmm. their own stuff. You on, you literally only hear about it when there's a guy with a camera phone. So just imagine how many of these are, are happening that we don't know about. It really just uh, gets to a common theme. I think you're probably thinking, which is we should be looking at alternatives, uh, clever, new, fresh ideas. You know, never. I think the oil companies are one of those where oil companies own the the land rights, the mineral rights to areas where there's oil. They're they're very complacent. They are not interested in technology at all. You don't let the Exxon Mobil commercials fool you where they're like, here at Exxon, there's all these like really nice young scientists in white lab coats doing cool stuff with algae. That's not what they're doing. Like not even one tenth of one percent of Exxon's money goes to anything like that. They're completely content. They know you and I, Matt, are not gonna go find oil in our backyard. We're beholden. As long as we drive cars, we're beholden to them. That is a recipe for complacency and not doing anything. So we have to to really like stir innovation. That's we, you and I, I think love Tesla uh, uniquely for this reason. They kickstarted this entire campaign of the electric vehicle, and now it's becoming quite a lucrative thing. We have a feature story about Electrify America, but these are the kinds of things that we need to be showcasing because until there's an alternative. What are you going to do, really? And it's just so sad that that one, the Pemex, is a um, is a is a government-run oil company. It just goes to show you, it doesn't really matter if it's private or public. It's a really challenging thing. You can imagine how deep these drills are and how tough they are to deal with. It's just so sad. Uh, yeah, it's a very depressing uh, thought, but it happens all the time, sadly. Yeah, well said. The next story is about Electrify America, who is rumored to be looking for a new $1 billion partner. So this is interesting. I, I think this is probably a good move for them. Just to take a little bit of a step back, the genesis of Electrify America here in the U.S. was actually, it came out of the Dieselgate scandal. So the U.S. government said you can either pay all these fines or go invest $2 billion into a zero-emission electric vehicle charging infrastructure in the interest of promote, promoting EVs, which Electrify America has done because it's the largest public charging station uh, in America. And they currently own a large share of this of this network. And I think at this point where they're growing, I, I believe what they want to do is kind of what Ionity, which is another one of these charging companies in Europe, which is have broader appeal, have some ownership by multiple companies. So here currently, it's just Volkswagen, but why shouldn't the article postulates that maybe it's Ford or GM Right, all like Ford makes sense. GM definitely makes sense. GM 
uh, which car is it that offers three years of, uh, oh, no, that's Volkswagen. So some of these, imagine being able to offer cool perks, like one year of free charging uh, on the network. And um, for, for, for Electrify America, especially, being able to do this can bring in more funding for faster growth as well. So sell off a billion, you know, sell some stake of the company away in the interest that that incoming revenue could fuel faster growth. So I think it's probably a smart idea all around and we'll see who the partner ends up being. Yep. Agree. And we have a, a super chat from team JG. Uh, any EV fire gets days of new coverage, but fossil fuel explosions, fires, leaks, and spills hardly get any coverage. They occur so often. And I agree with that. Like there are far more car fires and there are EV fires, but yet you hardly see them on television. Uh, so very yeah. well said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, my take on this uh, EV story, um, the Electrify America, it, when I first <laughs> read the article, my first thought was, oh, VW, E2 Brute, like, are they like selling out and getting out of this? And it was like, oh, no, 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 they're just looking for partners to make the system more robust, get some influx of cash, which will help them build out their manufacturing infrastructure for EVs. So it's like, I can understand why they're doing this. They don't want to be the sole owner of the system. They want to have somebody else have some skin in the game. And looking at it, it, GM to me seems like the no-brainer. If one of them is going to do it, it should be GM. Uh, Ford obviously would be a good choice too. But GM, they've just been so public about how they're moving forward and they're building gigafactories and they're doing all this crazy stuff. That's all the right moves. It's like this would just be another one of those, oh, now they're investing in uh, charging infrastructure too, um, which would be very beneficial. So I, this, this news got me pretty excited for the future of Electrify America. I'm with you. My first thought, I saw the headline and I dug into it thinking, <laughs> are they backtracking? Are they trying yeah. to get out of it? But really, it does make sense. VW is a car maker. They don't want to be in the business of the charging infrastructure. They knew they had to and they kind of did what Tesla did, but they were forced to from lying mm -hmm. and scandal, which is build out the, the egg before the chicken, chicken before the egg, one of those. <laughs> yeah. But now at the point where they are at, I think, yeah, it makes sense. It's, it's, a, good, it's a good thing, I think. Yeah, definitely move in the right direction. So to transition to the last story, which I think you're going to be very excited about yourself. Ooh, I uh, love this car. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> the, the late year one <laughs> prototype delivers a 441 miles of range. And the important part about that, it's off a 60 kilowatt hour pack, which is kind of crazy that they managed to squeak out that much range off of such a small battery pack. Um, the one caveat is this was on a test track that was a very flat surface. It don't, you know, it. It's not going to be real-world conditions getting 441. But I thought it was fascinating in this. They they were asked point blank how many miles came off the solar panels of the car because they've claimed before about 45 miles of range can be expected per day off the solar panels. They said this test was done during a cloudy day, so only about 25 of those miles probably came off of the solar power that was generated. So if it had been a sunny day, it could have been 45 miles, which would have probably pushed them over that 450-mile kind of like milestone but it's still damn impressive that they've been able no to kidding. get that kind of uh, efficiency out of their car um i still don't think it's the most beautiful car on the planet i think it's kind of a weird design but it's clearly designed that way for like super streamlined aerodynamics because they're doing everything they can with battery management and their motors and everything they can to eke out every piece of like electrons they can suck out of that battery and get the most use out of it um, what's your take on this First, I love the progress. We've I've kind of watched this company for quite a few years, and it feels like they're getting, they're, you know, they're chugging along. They're getting closer to actually being able to to ship. 
Yeah, I absolutely love this car. I, I hear you on the design. Like if you were looking to design a car, just no rules, this probably isn't what you'd come up with. But knowing you're trying to go 450 miles with a yeah. 60 kilowatt hour battery pack, uh, that is pretty good looking, I think. The, the fender arch in the back, all, everything is in the interest of like sh getting a, little, a couple extra miles. Um, this particular model, you know, Europe, being European, they have a camera um, rear view mirror, uh, sorry, the left and right mirrors, mm -hmm. which wouldn't be legal in the US. We'd have to have proper mirrors, which will reduce some range because the mirrors are actually one of the really dirty things uh, that muddy up your aerodynamics in a car. Hopefully US removes that need eventually. But looking at this a little bit, and if we break down the numbers, a Tesla Model 3, which is a efficiency king, does about four miles per kilowatt, right? So 300 divided by 75. This is doing north of seven. So <laughs> almost double the range per kilowatt hour of a Tesla Model 3. And that comes from the combination of factors, the aero, and the fact that it has solar panels on it. To me, that's just such a cool idea. You know what I would love? And it, it's not about money or anything. It's just the coolness of it. Imagine driving and having a little readout that says car is consuming this much, solar is producing this much, and knowing like, you know, if you slowed down, what I would start to do is how slow could I drive where I'm just, I'm barely losing range or like projections of how far I could go. I just think it's so fascinating. Like the faster you go, you're going to get less range with the higher drag. Um, but cloudy day, that's interesting. Potentially yeah. they could maybe almost break 500 miles. And don't forget that that means less, uh, drain on the grid when you go to charge charge less frequently longer road trips mm -hmm. and faster charging because a 200 kilowatt fast charge suddenly is really quick because yeah. you get you're gaining almost double the miles per hour if you will and you break it down that way yeah this so this is the car that breaks the whole um range anxiety issue because it's getting this incredible range but most people only drive 50 miles or less a day so then if you have solar panels in your car you potentially don't even ever, ever have to plug this car in for day-to-day -day driving. And the only times you'd probably be plugging it in is on a road trip, which is just, that's insane to me. It's like 300 days a year, you're never plugging this stupid car in. And then on occasional road trips, you have to go to a fast charger to juice up really quick. That, that to me, just the energy independence and the, <laughs> just, I don't have to plug it in in my house. It just takes care of itself. There's something absolutely awesome about that. I love this car and the, the team is super cool. I first heard about them on Fully Charged. They've done a really great series with them. This is so part of what I went full time on YouTube. What I wanted to do is be able to reach out to companies like this, do a trip and, and see their team or their factory, see the car. So I'm going to be reaching out to them and emailing them. Who knows? Probably probably won't hear anything from them, but I'd love to to look into it more. Um, uh, Jambe says Aptera looks more fun than that. Uh, different vehicles, but similar idea. Ultra, mm -hmm. ultra sleek. And, and I am going to be meeting with Aptera in the next couple of weeks. But I just love, I love this car. I really hope it does get to full production and that they make a lot of them. And don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. Hit the notification bell so you don't miss an episode. We're live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And as always, you can listen to the podcast version of the show at viceversa.show. As always, thanks so much for watching. We'll see you in the next one.